Brothers and sisters, I would ask that you turn with me to the book of Jonah as we will be finishing our study in the book this morning, concluding in chapter 4 and looking at verses 5 to 11. Jonah chapter 4 and verses 5 to 11. Jonah chapter 4, verses 5 to 11. Brothers and sisters, if you would, then please hear with me the reading God's holy and inerrant Word. Jonah went out of the city and sat to the east of the city and made a booth for himself there. He sat under it in the shade till he should see what would become of the city. Now the Lord God appointed a plant and made it come up over Jonah that it might be a shade over his head to save him from his discomfort. So Jonah was exceedingly glad because of the plant. But when dawn came up the next day, God appointed a worm that attacked the plant so that it withered. When the sun rose, God appointed a scorching east wind and the sun beat down on the head of Jonah so that he was faint. And he asked that he might die and said, It is better for me to die than to live. But God said to Jonah, Do you do well to be angry for the plant? And he said, Yes, I do well to be angry. Angry enough to die. And the Lord said, You pity the plant for which you did not labor, nor did you make it grow which came into being in a night and perished in a night. And should not I pity Nineveh, that great city in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know their right hand from their left and also much cattle. Thus far is a reading of God's Word. Brothers and sisters, the, the question for us is not Will you suffer hardships? Will you go through trials and battle with sin and endure mighty consequences because of your sin? But the question is, how will you deal with those things? Right? How will you handle yourself in the midst of suffering? How will you handle yourself in the midst of trials and hardships? How will you handle yourself under the, the discipline of the Lord as a consequence for your sin? Will you become hardened against God? Will you attempt to, to run and flee from your chastisements? Will you kick back against God? Will you despise Him for them? Will you resent God for what He has brought into your life? Will you be mad that things often don't go your way? Or will you humble yourself and submit yourself under God's reproof and resolve to simply go to the Lord and ask for the grace to bear up under whatever it is He has for you to the praise and to the glory of His name? Because God will put you in uncomfortable circumstances and situations. He will allow you to be in situations that you do not like. Your life will not go in the way in which you want it to go. 
But the question is, do you know why? Do you know why? Because if you know why, it makes those situations not easy, but what it does make for them to be is spiritually advantageous for you. Think about it. If you've ever tried to teach someone something hard and difficult, if they have kind of a, a big picture already, it's much easier for them to understand those hard and difficult things than it is for someone who doesn't know the big picture or who doesn't understand the big picture, isn't it? Because when you try to teach them the hard and the difficult, they say, I can't wrap my mind around this. I don't even know what you're talking about. And they, they throw their hands up and they walk away. Right? We have many people today, ungodly neighbors and family members and friends, who do what when hardship happens? They say, why? Right? They question, why me? What did I do to deserve this? I thought God was a loving God. Why would He allow this? Especially me. Someone who who does good and yet my neighbor, my my evil, wicked neighbor prospers. And what happens oftentimes when you try to comfort these people with the Word of God and pointing them to Christ? What what happens? They don't even want to hear it, do they? They walk away. They don't want to hear anything about the name of Christ. They don't want to hear anything about God because they blame Him for what's going on. As if God has wronged them in some way. But brothers and sisters, the ungodly are not the only ones who do this, is it? Likewise, the godly do it. Jonah is a, is a prime example of that, is he not? But what we see is that while the unbeliever continues to go deeper and deeper and deeper down the path of bitterness, never understanding the big picture or the small, as believers, we do. Even though imperfectly. Even though we may forget it for a time and push back against it and act like insolent child, the children to our own detriment, do we not? And it's to our own detriment because look at what Jonah has become when he has acted like the ungodly and like the unbeliever. Look at who Jonah has become as he has continually rejected the perfect will of God. Right? Look at what he has missed out on. Comfort, peace, joy, happiness, sweet fellowship with his Lord. He's missed out on all of those things. Why? Because of his anger and his displeasure with God. But, what do we see? God will not abandon His servant, will He? Right? He will continue to press down on Jonah the almighty hand until Jonah comes to remember what he has so quickly forgot. And that is that God always does that which is right. And He always does what is best for the saint in every situation, even if you do not perceive of it that way. You see, brothers and sisters, if we got our own way, we would be living very comfortable lives, wouldn't we? We would be living lives that are, that are devoid of any pain or suffering. Right? This is why it is bad and wrong for us to want to take back the reins of our life from God. Because what we want would destroy us. Right, is what we want would, would cause us to be lethargic, negligent, worldly Christians. Right, that's what an easy life would, would, would bring for us. It would bring those things because we would say to ourselves, we have everything. Everything's perfect in my life. There is no change I need to make. I must be doing something right. So they will see no need to improve their spiritual estate. They will see no need to turn to God in prayer and ask anything for Him because they have it all. And so we need to see hardship 
tragedy, trouble, chastisements, all is good things. Not good in and of themselves, but good because of what they produce in us. Good because of what God is working in them through us as He is conforming us to the image of His Son. As He is making us saints who glorify Him more here on earth as He is preparing us and fitting us for our heavenly abode with Him one day. As God's dealings train us and teach us and shape us and grow us and strengthen us and bless us. Right? Thank the Lord that God gave Jonah what he needed and not what he wanted or desired. Because just think what Jonah would have become if he got what he wanted and desired. But as Jonah pushes back against the Lord, the Lord continues to, to push against Jonah. And as the Lord pushes against Jonah, Jonah will learn the lesson. Right? He will learn the lesson. He will learn to bow the knee. Everyone who the Lord pushes back against will learn the lesson. Or else what's going to happen is that you are going to fall into utter hopelessness, continual sadness, spiritual barrenness, inward emptiness. All of these things lead to what? Eternal destruction. And even then, brothers and sisters, at that time, you still will learn the lesson. But it will come to you at a much steeper price. It will come to you at the price of your life. And so we need to see that in everything that happens in our life, everything that occurs, God is teaching us something. He is teaching us valuable and enduring lessons in our life just as He is teaching Jonah in our text today. And so as we look at our text this morning, we want to ask, what is it that the Lord is communicating to Jonah through Jonah's hardship this morning? And we want to do this uh, under three main points this morning. And the three main points are this. First, God providentially teaches. God providentially teaches. Point number two is God directly questions. God directly questions. And third, Jonah humbly answers. Jonah humbly answers. So point one, God providentially teaches. Now it appears to us as we read in our text that the the 40 days has now lapsed. And Jonah has exited the city and he is angry. Right? He is acting like a kind of like a spoiled brat, right? Like an insolent child. Someone who's who's angry and who's throwing his a fit because he didn't get his way. Last week we seen how angry and displeased he was, didn't we? As he opened his heart and, and laid it all out before God. And although we highlighted the sinfulness of of Jonah in this situation, we also commended Jonah, didn't we? In the sense that Jonah turned to the Lord in prayer. He met with God as, as his counselor as he laid bare his heart and allowed God to deal with his heart and to expose his heart and to handle his heart. And then we ended with the Lord questioning Jonah in verse 4, saying this, Do you do well to be angry? Now as we pick up in verse 5, it doesn't appear as if Jonah has spent much time in contemplation of that question, does it? No, as Jonah just picks up, walks away and finds somewhere to sit 
And he sits down and we're told he, he builds for himself a, a booth or a tent of sort so that he might escape the, that hot heat that was kind of pounding down upon him. And we're told though that as he built this booth and he sits under it, what is Jonah doing? He's looking back at the city waiting to see what's going to happen. You see, Jonah is still hoping for the destruction of Nineveh. Right? He still holds out hope that God is, is going to destroy it even though the, the 40 days have lapsed. He's perplexed. How has he not destroyed this place by now? And as he sits here still in his sin, God uses this time as an opportunity now to reprove and to, and to correct His servant. And He does this providentially. And how do we know that? Well, we see that same word used in verse 6 that we've seen back in Jonah chapter 1, verse 17. It's that word appointed right? or ordained. Just as God had appointed or ordained or brought forth this great fish to swallow up Jonah in chapter 1 and verse 17, He likewise now appoints this plant to spring up. Now this plant, more than likely, was a castor oil plant. Uh, these are plants that, that, were, um, that grew in this area and they grew to mighty heights. They could grow up to, to 10 feet in one year and they provided great shade and relief. Now obviously, this isn't a plant that just naturally sprung forth, but rather God miraculously causes this castor oil plant to to spring forth and to grow large and to cover over Jonah, to provide shade for him. In fact, in verse 6, what are we told? That God provided the plant to save Jonah from his discomfort. And Jonah was in much discomfort, wasn't he? If we're honest with ourselves, Jonah has, has actually been brought through the ringer, hasn't he? Now, much of it has been to his own doing, his own fault because of his own sin. But nevertheless, Jonah has really been through it, hasn't he? He's experienced some highs, but he's also experienced really low lows. What do we see? That uh, Jonah rebels against God. And so he runs to and flees to a boat. And what happens on the boat? The boat is being bashed with the wind and with the sea, so much so everyone is terrified thinking that they're going to die. What happens from there? Jonah is lifted and tossed into the sea, thinking, now this is where I'm going to die. After that, what happens to Jonah? He's swallowed up by this great fish, and now he's essentially encapsulated inside of the belly of a great fish for, for three days. I mean, thing after thing after thing is happening to Jonah, isn't it? He gets spewed out on dry land, and then what happens? The story doesn't end, does it? Now he's sent to his missionary journey to do what? to go to the the great city Nineveh. Jonah goes there not knowing what's to become of him. You know, this city of Ninevites, are they going to beat him? Are they going to imprison him? Are they going to kill him? And so he goes with all of that worry as well as he enters. And now he is exhausted and appears to be at his very end. Jonah is at his, his wit's end. And look at what the Lord does though for Jonah in this instance. Jonah builds for himself a makeshift tent in order to provide for himself relief from his distress. And yet, what do we see? That which Jonah built was not sufficient to provide relief for Jonah. So what does God do? God provides sufficient relief for Jonah. 
Right? Jonah was looking for rest that he could not find, and so it was the Lord who provided that rest from Jonah. And yet, what are we told then? Jonah was exceedingly glad because of it. Right? Jonah was overjoyed by this great plant that the Lord caused to spring up, by which he found relief from the sun. But what we need to see, brothers and sisters, is that the plant served a greater purpose than just to provide relief for Jonah from the sun. It served to teach Jonah an invaluable and enduring lesson. Because look at how Jonah, how glad Jonah was as he was delivered out of his own distress by God. Right? Do we see that? How exceedingly glad Jonah is described to be when he was delivered from his own distress. And yet, Jonah is angry and displeased when the Lord delivers the Ninevites out from under their own distress. Do you see that? Do you see what's taking place there? And so God is using this time to to teach Jonah how sinful his heart was. To be excitingly joyous and glad when he is delivered from his distress, but to be angry and displeased when others are delivered from their distress. This is why then God appoints a worm, we're told in verse 7, to attack the plant and to cause it to wither so that it no longer provides relief for Jonah. But God isn't done teaching Jonah, is He? He's not done with these invaluable lessons. So what does He do? He appoints something for the third time. Now it is a scorching east wind. And we're told that the sun beats down upon Jonah, so much so that Jonah is now faint. So we see Jonah is tired. Jonah is angry. Jonah is displeased. Jonah is at his wit's end. And he wants it all to be done with. He's ready to just die. And so what does he say in verse 8? It is better for me to die than to live. So what do we see? God teaching and teaching and teaching. But Jonah isn't doing much listening or learning, is he? God is demonstrating to Jonah His sovereignty over all. He is demonstrating to Jonah that He is Maker of all things and as Maker, He has control over all of His creation. That He causes the wind to swirl in quiet. That He causes not only the sparrow to fall to the ground, but also the worm to come up from the ground and to to gnaw upon the plant. That, That none of these things happen outside of the foreordination of God. And although He is teaching Jonah all of these things and Jonah is not learning them, What is this teaching meant to draw out of Jonah? What are all these lessons meant to draw out of Jonah throughout this experience in chapter 4? Repentance. All of these lessons are are meant to, to draw forth repentance out of Jonah. To see that he had no right to claim anything with God. That he had no right to be angry with God in any way. That he had no right to bring any complaint towards God. It's likewise meant to draw out of Jonah patience. Right? God throughout this entirety of this event is is testing the patience of His servant. He's testing Jonah's faith. He's testing, is Jonah going to believe me and my word? Is he going to believe that my will will be done and that I do whatever pleases me and whatever pleases me is good? Right? He's, he's trying to draw out of Jonah obedience to his word as well. Right? Is Jonah going to continue to suffer as he disobeys and rebels? 
Or will he finally give up his own will and want what God wants and flee towards God? Right? And make God's will his will. But he's also teaching not only Jonah, but each and every single one of you here today that the same hand that gives you your mercies is the hand that likewise takes them all away. The same hand that gives you those daily mercies is the hand that removes them from you. Because we see that the plant didn't wither and die on its own. Right? The worm didn't come up from the ground and gnaw on it on its own. The wind didn't swirl on its own. And so we need to see that nothing that happens ever happens independently of God. Right? Nothing that happens ever happens independently of God. Now what else is God looking to teach Jonah? How about that Jonah needs to get in control of his emotions? Right? He's teaching Jonah to control his emotions. Look at how Jonah behaved. Something good happened and he's exceedingly glad. Right? He is rejoicing in it. Something then bad happens to him and what happens? His entire countenance changes and he wants to die. How many of you here behave in such fashion? Right? That when something good happens in your life, you're a happy, jolly saint that people want to be around. But as soon as something doesn't go your way, it doesn't happen according to your plans, you're a miserable saint to be around. And you don't even appear to be a Christian at all, at all in, the, in the manner in which you carry about yourself. But if you believe that God was behind all, if you believe the big picture, if you've seen that it was God who both gives and takes away, if you believe that it is God who is sovereign, if you believe what Paul said in Romans 8.28, that God works all things out for good for those who love Him and are called according to His purpose, you wouldn't have these great swings of emotion, would you? There would be no need for these great swings of emotion. If not for an utter lack of faith in God, if not for anger because you experience some sort of displeasure or hardship that you don't want to experience because you want an easy Christian life. And so, brothers and sisters, I implore you, instead of focusing on how something makes you feel in any given moment, what we need to be asking ourselves is, what is the lesson that God is trying to communicate to us through this? Right? What is He trying to teach me here? What is it that He wants me to learn? And then, how does He want me to glorify Him in this moment with my emotions, with my actions, with my thoughts, with my speech? Because nothing happens that is not first directed and providentially guided by God. You know, every single one of you here today is going through something. Right? Every one of you here today is being tried and pulled and pushed in some direction. Some of you here today are dealing with all sorts of maybe hardship and trial. Some of you may be in between jobs. Don't know what job to take. Or if I should leave one job and go to the other. Some of you are in between churches. You know, where does God want me to be? You're, you're considering all these things. Some of you may be dealing with hardship at work. Some of you may be dealing with strife in your marriage. Some of you may be dealing with maybe wayward children who are testing your patience. Some of you may be overcome with burdensome feelings as you're you know, taking care of maybe all these different people and you're being stretched all over. Right? What we need to understand is that all these things are, that are going on in your life, they're, they're not going on in your life by chance. They're 
happening for reasons. And God is teaching you in them. He is giving you great lessons. And the question is, are you listening? Are you listening? And then, what is your response to what He is teaching you? What is your response to what He is teaching you? Is it to push back against Him, as Jonah has been doing? Or is it to seek Him out in His Word? To lay open your heart in prayer? Right? Is it to be obedient to His Word? To, to walk by faith and not by sight? What does Jonah do? Jonah wants to die. Jonah has not learned the lesson yet, has he? And so what does God do? He continues to intensify the chastisement. Just as He will do to every single one of you here, brothers and sisters. When you do not listen to the chastisements and the lessons God is teaching you, He will continue to intensify them and intensify them until you do. And so what does He then do? We see that now He, he asks Jonah a question. After teaching him all these lessons through these providential means. And this leads us then to point number two this morning, which is God directly questions. Now in verse 9, God asks what? Do you do well to be angry for the plant? Do you do well to be angry for this plant? Do you not see that God is trying to demonstrate to Jonah how ridiculous and how sinful his reaction is? But what does Jonah respond with? Yes, I do well to be angry. Angry enough to die. Isn't that how a, a stubborn child responds sometimes to their parents? Right? Jonah here has not felt the weight of his sin yet, has he? Right? Jonah is still being hardened by the lessons that the Lord is teaching him. He has not been softened by them yet. And so what does the Lord respond with? In verse 10 and 11, we read this. You pity the plant for which you did not labor, nor did you make it grow, which came into being in a night and perished in a night. And should I not pity Nineveh, that great city in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know their right hand from their left and also much cattle? Now isn't it interesting? As we read this, we see that God raises up this castor oil plant for the purpose of destroying it. He raises up this plant with the purpose of destroying it. He raised it up for Jonah so that he could take it away from Jonah. And why does he do it? So that he might teach Jonah how to feel. He did it so that he might teach Jonah what it is to, to lose something. That he might teach Jonah what it is to experience loss. Right? This is why he does this. So that Jonah would repent for his lack of feeling for the Ninevites. And for his desire that they would experience great loss. So God caused this plant to grow so that Jonah would take a liking to it. God caused this plant to grow so that Jonah would love it and, and desire it and care for it and want it 
so that in that moment he could snatch the plant from Jonah. He raised it up with the purpose of destroying it. Not so that he would harm Jonah, but he does it for the spiritual benefit of Jonah. That's the whole reason he raised it up and took it from him, for his spiritual benefit. So that he could see that he was wrong for being angry over the death of a plant, but be desirous for the death of thousands of sinners. That is what he is teaching Jonah. So that Jonah would see that to God there is nothing more important than immortal souls. Brothers and sisters, oh, if sinners would see that today. I mean, isn't there a battle raging in our land, in our nation right now over abortion? And are we not a nation of people who care more about plants and our cats and dogs than we do from the human beings growing inside of the womb? Right? That are flesh of our flesh and bone of our bone. And yet we complain when a plant that we like that sits in our house dies. Right? Or we, or we cry and are inconsolable when a cat or a dog dies. And so we stuff them and put them in our house somewhere. Or we have a nice ritualistic burial in the backyard for them. But we can extinguish the life of a child, your own flesh and blood, and not think twice about it. How wicked and evil is that? People today treat it like it's a light and a laughing matter. God in this moment is reminding Jonah of who He is. He says, you're my prophet. You're supposed to be caring for souls and you're not. Jonah, like this nation, is merciless, are they not? But thank the Lord that our God is not merciless like Jonah or like the Ninevites. Right? Thank the Lord that the Son of God is not merciless like Jonah or like the Ninevites. For Christ weeps over the souls of sinners, does He not? Matthew chapter 23, verse 37. Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to it. How often I would have gathered your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings, but you were not willing. You see, the Father shows a general love and a general mercy to, to all sinners as He causes us all to live and move and have our being in Him. But He likewise extends a peculiar or a special love and mercy for His own people for those whom He has chosen in Christ before the foundation of the world. And this is what He's teaching Jonah. He says, you are angry and you want to die because a plant that you didn't grow, that you didn't make spring up from the earth, withered and died. And yet I, the God of heaven and earth, who formed these infants in the wombs of these bellies, and who created and implanted with them in a mortal soul, should I not care for them who are going to die? You care for this castor oil plant that you didn't make, but I'm not supposed to care for those whom I made and whom I've chosen in Christ before the foundation of the world? Do you see how backwards that is, Jonah? That is what God is trying to teach Jonah here. 
And so we see, brothers and sisters, that there is nothing more important, there is nothing more precious to God than immortal souls. And so the question is, if this is what God is most concerned with, are you? If immortal souls are what God is most concerned with, are you? Now, we would all probably sit here today and say, yes, I am most concerned with immortal souls. But the question is then, do you show it? Do you illustrate that in your life? And I'd venture to say that many, if not all of us, demonstrate that we care for a great many other things before we care for immortal souls. We care about our own fun and enjoyment. We care about our own recreation. We care about our own financial security and our family safety. Perhaps we care about our own immortal souls, but the immortal souls of others? Not really. One way, though, brothers and sisters, in which we demonstrate, though, that you care for immortal souls is to do what Paul tells Timothy to do. And that is to pray for all people. Right? As believers, we are to be praying for the ungodly. We are to be praying for their conversion. We are to be praying for opportunity for them to hear the Gospel and to repent and to believe. This is what Paul says to Timothy in 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 1. I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgivings be made to all people. Likewise, brothers and sisters, you show concern for immortal souls when you do not shy away from living and speaking like a Christian before the ungodly, right? before the unchurched world. Right? When you have opportunity, are you sharing Christ? Or are you wasting those opportunities that God has afforded you? Oftentimes, you might get into a conversation with someone in the line of a grocery store. Or you might bump into an old friend somewhere. Or you might uh, meet up with, with unchurched family members and friends. And people make mention of, of hardships they're enduring. Right, of things that, that, are, that are going on in their life, things that they are, they are suffering from, troubles and trials that they are dealing with. And I ask, are you just giving them kind of the, the cookie-cutter answer because you have something more important to move on to and you don't want to really deal with it, so you just tell them, hey, everything will be alright? Or just, just look to God, something like that? Or do you actually go into death? Do you tell them? That it is God who has ordained all things and brings all things to pass for His glory. Do you tell them that this God is calling upon all sinners to repent everywhere and He extends His grace and mercy through His Son, Jesus Christ. And through faith in Christ, one day Christ will return again to wipe away every tear and to remove all trial and tribulation from this earth and that it will never appear once again as we live in paradise and glory with the Lord for all those who have come to faith in Jesus Christ. Do you tell them that whatever it is that you're experiencing now, if you are a saint, is, is meant to, to conform you and ready you for glory? But if you are suffering something, trial, hardship, that what God is doing, in it, doing to you in it is teaching you to turn to Him? And if you're not turning to Him, what He is doing in it is further condemning you in His wrath? And so you have a choice to make? in each lesson that God is teaching you, in each hardship that He's bringing towards you, 
And that is, do I turn to the Lord or do I flee the Lord? Right? Are you spending the time to, to tell people these things? Right? If you truly care for souls like God cares for souls, like Christ His Son cares for souls, then brothers and sisters, I implore you to show it, to demonstrate it, to, to live it in your life. Don't just say it. This takes us then to our third and our final point, which is Jonah responds repentantly. Jonah responds repentantly. There are only two books in the entire Bible that end with a question. Jonah obviously is one. The book of Nahum is the other. So 64 of the 66 books don't end with a question. And so as we read these books, the only two books they are that end with a question, we're not used to it, are we? And so we say to ourselves, how, how am I supposed to take this book? Right? How does this book finish? How does it end? How am I supposed to understand the, the completion of it? Well, brothers and sisters, I would like to submit to you, and I've kind of given my, my stance away already, haven't I, with the, the third point being Jonah humbly uh, repents, or Jonah responds repentantly. But I would like to submit to you why I think Jonah has learned his lesson. Why I believe Jonah has repented. And why I think Jonah has now come to embrace the will of God. And there's really two, two reasons at the core for why I think this is the case. First, I believe that Jonah learned his lesson because after everything that has taken place, Jonah then writes this book. So after all of his disobedience, he now writes the book. And let me ask you, who here, if you are still stuck in your stubborn ways, if you thought that you were not wrong, if you are still angry with God, would write a work such as this? You wouldn't, would you? A work that makes yourself look terrible. A work that makes yourself look like a miserable saint. And a work, though, that highlights the majesty and the glory of God as He continually brings forth the sovereignty of God, the wisdom of God, the compassion of God, the mercy of God, the faithfulness of God throughout the book. And so Jonah would only be able to do this if he understood and if he's seen the folly of his way. And now that he is humbly submitted to God, he writes this book. Secondly, I think the style or the structure of the book Likewise, is an indication to us that Jonah is repentant and that Jonah has come to make the will of God his own. And when I say that, this is what I mean. The book of Jonah begins with silence. Remember, God tells him, go to Nineveh, go proclaim this. Jonah says not one word, he just runs and flees away. How does the book of Jonah end? It ends in silence. Although this time, Jonah doesn't run. Rather, Jonah now rests. He rests in the Lord. You know how we know that? Because he doesn't say a word, but he gives God the last word. And instead of replying back to God with empty words, instead he demonstrates the conversion of his heart. He demonstrates the condition of his heart 
than by writing this work for the Lord. He demonstrates that he is not running from God anymore, but that he is rested in God's Word. And he demonstrates that repentant heart then by writing this work into the Lord and giving God the last word. Shutting his mouth, not saying anything back. As he has come to learn what, what Peter tells us in, in 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 24 and 25, which is the, the grass withers, the flower fades. And Jonah learns that literally, doesn't he? But the word of the Lord remains forever. Jonah has learned throughout the entirety of this book that he has no right, that he had no right to make himself judge. That there is only one judge in heaven and earth, and that is God. And all of God's renderings are perfect and holy and just and good. That God is faithful to Himself and that He is faithful to His Word in which He has revealed Himself to you and I. Right? That, that God remains the same and constant throughout all the ages. That He remains the same compassionate God who has pity upon sinners throughout all the ages. We see that as He reminds Jonah that Jonah didn't create the plant, He tells him, I did create the people of Nineveh. And He has pity, He says, on the, that 120,000 who did not know their right from their left hand. Now, the commentators are split on what that means. There are some who say the 120,000 who don't know their right from their left were, were essentially children or infants who didn't actually know their right from their left. The other side says, no, the 120,000 who don't know their right from their left are those who were entrapped in sin, who were blinded by their sin, who the Lord had chosen, but who couldn't get out of their sin apart from the Word of the Lord. Right? But regardless of, of which, uh, which position it is you take, what I want us to see, what we need to see, is how the Lord is moved by compassion and pity for His people no matter where they are in the world. And this is ultimately, brothers and sisters, why Christ came into the world, is it not? Right? This is what the angel of the Lord tells Joseph in Matthew chapter 1, verse 21. He says, Don't fear, take Mary as your wife, for she will bear a son, and you shall call His name Jesus, for He will save His people from their sins. Right? Christ came to redeem. He was sent out of love. He came full of compassion and pity and mercy. And God is still showing compassion through His chastisements, through our hardships, through our trials, as He is teaching us and training us to exercise faith in the Son and to humble ourselves and to make the eternal purposes of God our will and to give up all sense of self-righteousness and self-dependence and cast ourselves fully upon Christ. And so as we draw to a close, what we see is that Jonah has been exposed. But what I also want us to see is so have every one of you. As we have read the book of Jonah, he has been exposed, but so have you. For all of the sins that Jonah is guilty of, they are all lurking in every single one of your hearts today. Man, woman, and child. And so the question is, is what will your response be? What will your response be? And I say to you, don't run, don't flee. But do what James tells us to do in James chapter 4, verse 8. 
Right? Which is to draw near to God and He will draw near to you. And we are to do that all times, but especially in those dark hours during trials and hardship, we are to draw near to God. And how do you draw near to God? You draw near to Him in His Word. You draw near to Him in prayer. You draw near to Him as you enter into His, his sanctuary and you worship Him. You draw near to Him as you demonstrate love for His people. You draw near to Him as you exercise repentance and faith. Only then, brothers and sisters, will you be able to learn those enduring lessons that He is teaching you. Just as Jonah has endured, or Jonah has learned those enduring lessons that the Lord has taught him. And Lord willing, as you learn those lessons, like Jonah, you too will remain silent, fully resting and trusting in the Lord. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we are so grateful for this this book of Jonah. Uh, We thank You, Lord, that it exposes to us our own sin and our own weaknesses. And it causes us to examine ourselves and to flee towards Christ and to lay bare our hearts and to cry out for mercy as this book teaches us how much You care for sinners and how as the saints we likewise ought to care for sinners. Lord, we pray that You would help to give us a greater zeal for the lost. That as You make opportunity for us to to share Christ with others, that we would do so without hesitation. That we would cast aside even our own plans that we have in order to take the time to spend with sinners, knowing that apart from Christ, they will enter into eternal destruction. And that they need Christ. And it is only through faith in Christ that they will ever enter into glory. And so, Lord, we ask that You would impress upon our hearts this message this day. Cause us to be a people uh, who, who love not only the brethren, but love all the unchurched. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.